done for them. They were nowhere to be found. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they all scattered. Anybody ever been there before where, where you're in that moment of guilt where you know God has been good to you and, and you found yourself in a sinful position and, and then God came. Thank you, Jesus. Then God came. Then God came to you in spite of yourself and reminded you that he was still with you. I can only imagine what it must have looked like after Peter. God said, you're going to deny me. For you, will, you will deny me three times. He says, it ain't broke, God. It ain't broke. It don't need to be fixed. He said, you will deny me. The Bible says not long, but a few hours later, he denied him three times. But I thank God that after Jesus was resurrected, he came right back to Peter and gave him three more chances to pick up where he left off. Somebody shout, God will give you another chance. Come on in here. How many need another chance in here today? How many need one more chance? I don't know. Somebody said he's a God of second chances, but, but I have found him to be the God of another chance. Because I've needed more than two chances. Come on in here, somebody. And so it is that, man, they just totally jacked it up. They failed the Lord. But when the Spirit of God fell, ooh, when Pentecost took over, for those of you who are biblically illiterate, Pentecost is simply the, the, the terminology that describes the moment when the Spirit of God took over and changed fighting cussing disciples into preaching, teaching apostles. I want to be very clear on this. There's only one thing that adjusts the temperature in your life. There's only one thing that brings about the needed change that you desire. You can't work your way to this thing. You can't attend church enough and become a better person. But the only thing that makes a Christian is the Holy Spirit. We're all, come on, anybody ever received the refreshing of God? Many of us right now are dead and bored in our walk with God, but I've got a solution for you today. If you found yourself like the disciples who constantly found themselves in disagreement with the plan of God, there is a solution to your problem. You don't have to work for it anymore. You don't have to fight for it anymore. You don't have to, you don't have to do religious things for it anymore. There is but one way to become like Jesus, and that is when we receive the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. Lord has come to reveal to me carefully through scripture that you are not a Christian if you are not full of the Holy Spirit. Just like I'm not a car if I stand in a garage, you're not a Christian if you are in a church building. It takes more than that. But, it, but it's based on a simple request. The Bible says in Luke 11, ask and it shall be given. Anybody need the reign of God today? Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be open. What are you talking about, Jesus? He says, if I'm willing to give good gifts to children that are evil, how much more am I willing to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him? It's all in the spirit today. And we saw the difference in the disciples, a total difference, night and day, the Holy Spirit. Anybody have a husband that you need a night and day experience with? Pray for him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have children that need a night and day turnaround in their walk with God, I'm telling you right now, pray, pray the Holy Spirit on them. If you are struggling, and, and how, many, how many of you go through cycles in your walk with God where, 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 where I was very recently where I was going through the motions and you just didn't feel anything. Have you ever been there before? You didn't feel like you were hearing God. You didn't feel like you were seeing anything from God. Oh, there's a solution. Oh, if you just ask for the Holy Spirit to fill your empty life 
when his presence comes in, he will put you in a position where you can hear the voice of God. How many need his refreshing today? Am I talking to a church that's hungry for God today? I'm not coming to preach to folk who just want to be namby-pamby and just want to be preached to and go home and do nothing. But is there anybody here today that wants the refreshing of God? You want more in your walk with God? You want to be determined to serve the Lord? Come with me! So they experienced a night and day change. And so Peter goes from cussing and denying. Anybody ever seen this happen to anybody? There are testimonies all in this room. Many of us do not even know if we have ever experienced that. Have I really, stay here right now, have I really been changed? But Peter knew. There ain't nothing like knowing. Peter knew that a change had taken place. Oh, let me get my towel here for a second. He knew that he was different. I cannot explain to you when it happened to me, but, but I know that I'm different. Do you know what I'm talking about in here? I know I'm not the same on me. A change has come in my life. And I'm telling you, when, oh, I'm just going to be practical today. When you know, oh, help me to preach this word. When you know, this is just straight Bible today. When you know that there has been a change. Now, I'm not talking about you figuring it out. You're not sure. But when you know, and the only way you will know is when you receive the outpouring of God's spirit in your life. When you know there's been a change. Oh, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. You have a swagger. You have a confidence. You have a boldness about your walk with God. I mean, I mean, and don't get me wrong. You don't see your, you're not arrogant. I mean, you're not prideful. You're not boastful. But you just know in whom that you believe. You just know that he is a way maker. You know that he can change anybody. And he can change anything. When other folks are complaining and wondering and afraid of the outcome of situations. You ain't tripping because you know. You know what God has done in your life. And you may not be the smartest. You may not have the most money. You may not have the most education. You may not have the status, but you know. <laughs> have you ever been there before? I've been around insecure people that had it all. I've been around folk who didn't know who they were. And they had the stuff I was trying to get. But there's a difference between somebody who's unsure of themselves and where they've been and somebody who goes into a room and they don't have to know everybody. They don't have to have the status, but they've been with God and they know that God has done something in their life. They're not worried about the interview. They're not worried about the diagnosis. They're not worried about the negative report because they know what God can do. This is basic stuff today. Do you have an experience with God where you can say to yourself, I know my Redeemer liveth. He is a risen Savior and he's able. Yo, man, Peter knew. Peter knew. By the way, that's why I don't wear a tie. Because it's coming off anyway. You already know that. Make no sense to put it on, get it sweaty, take it to the cleaners. Forget about it. I'll put it on afterwards. There you go. Ah, oh, he knew. Somebody shout, he knew. 
and when watch this now, I'm just simply trying to set this up. Because he knew, when Pentecost fell, the Bible says 120 of them were in the upper room and they began to pray to God. This is why we have these prayer meetings, because we believe that the Spirit of God comes, not when a preacher is preaching, but the Spirit of God comes in our lives in moments of prayer. Moments of intercession with God. Carrying before his pride, begging and crying out for his mercy. And in that upper room, they began to confess sin. In that upper room, they began to make things right. In that upper room, they had the courage to say, I was wrong. In that upper room, they had the courage to say, I blew it. In the upper room, there were no big eyes and little use. They were all huddled before the throne of Christ, tears in their eyes. Their hands were uplifted, and they begged for the Spirit of God. And the Bible says, like a mighty rushing wind. Oh, my God. Oh, don't you wish you were there? Oh, I wish that God would do that again. Oh, the word of God says like a wind. Can you hear the grumbling of the power of the air of God that rushed through the room? They were praying for God to move. And then, bam, the power of God surged on in the room. And here's the result. This is the result of a spirit-filled life. Bible says Peter gets up to preach and doesn't cuss. Now, I don't have time to get into it, but let me just point this out real quick. Man, when you get in your spare time, we asked, man, Duke's sermon was not that good. Like, by our standards, I mean, he did not have, like, a great introduction. He didn't tell a bunch of stories that, you know, made people feel good. He didn't have a real climactic ending where everybody was on their feet. As a matter of fact, this was his sermon. In summary, he said, y'all killed Jesus, whom the Bible prophesied about, and you all need to repent. Period. That was the word. I mean, I suspect today, and don't get me wrong, sometimes my, my, my desire to, oh, I'm going to talk about this today. My desire to want to uh, have, have the approval of people, there's often a temptation to tell people what they want to hear, to not offend, to, to, to not step on toes. But, but, but when the Spirit of God comes in your life, and somebody needs this word today, there is a boldness, oh God. There is a courage, somebody needs courage today, to stand up and declare what God said. We've got too many cowards in Israel, people that are afraid of people when you have been with God. How are you going to be afraid of a man when you have been in the presence of a guy who created the man? Understand now, God is looking for a church that has courage. And after he preached... This is what happened. The Bible says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You might want to write this down. Today I'm laying out for you very clearly the direction that Glenville is going to go in. Now I must say this right now. Help me, Lord. I was trying to figure out how I could say this to you guys without, I was trying to find the best way to say it and the most diplomatic way to do it. I kind of felt like I need to be able to answer all their questions. I need to give reasons in my, in my imagination and I'm not saying I don't care. In my imagination, I, I, I could hear the questions and concerns 
about what is about to be said. And, 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 and I spent all week until the Holy Ghost hit me upside the head trying to figure out how I could, I could, I could, I could break the news to them. And man, the Holy Spirit, I shared this with John and my wife, the Holy Spirit came to me on Thursday. Man, I was doing the dishes. Anybody ever been there before? When you just, you're doing something. I mean, you're not in church. Come on, somebody. You ain't doing nothing necessarily religious. Come on, Mike. You know what I'm talking about. You driving in your car, and the Spirit of God just hit me. One thing I got to tell you right now, though, is one of the reasons why God was giving me that antsy feeling is because that antsiness drives us back to seeking God. I had gotten caught up in the formality of seeking God, but I had lost the freshness of being in his presence. And how many know when you're afraid or when you're going through something, you know you need the Lord? Man, God told me straight up. He said, listen, and I'm going to tell you this on the front end. He said, Myron, he said, the direction, he said, I called you from Nashville, Tennessee to come to Cleveland, Ohio. Not because you wanted to come. He says, I called you to come not to do church. As usual. He says, I called you to come not to operate in your own gifting. I called you to come and not do what you had done before so that you can appease the brethren and appease the members so they can say you did a good job. He said, Myron, I called you here to do a work that you have never seen before. He says, because I'm trying to take you. Now, this is just between me and God. I'm just telling you the conversation. He says, because where I'm trying to take you in your faith walk cannot be based on sight. It must be based on faith. And if you're going to call the people of God to a faith relationship with him, then they have got to see it played out in your own life. So, Myron, I'm bringing you to Cleveland, Ohio, to put you as a spectacle before your members to show them what it's like to walk by faith and not by sight. That's why, Myron, when you got here, your wife could not find a job for two years. That's why, Myron, when you got here, your house almost went into foreclosure, but it did not. Because I want you to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. I did not come. I did not send you to win a popularity contest. He said, I sent you on a mission to call the people of God back to primitive godliness. And at the same time you call them, I'm going to do it in you. So now this is the only thing I can tell you today. This is the only thing I can tell you. Where I believe God is leading us as a church. It's very similar to Joshua and and giving them the strategy to march around the walls of Jericho seven times. What What am I saying? I don't have a reason, except that God said so. I'm not telling you that you have to agree with me. I will trust that God will show you where we are going in your personal time with him. The only thing I can do is I must obey the word of God. He sent me here. And he says, I've given you instructions. And the instructions I gave you do not fall under a conference office. They do not fall under an elder's board. They do not fall under your associate pastor. They do not fall under your opinion of what you should do. I called you to obey me. And I'm looking. I'm just telling you the conversation I had with God. I'm looking for leaders, Myron, who will finally, all your ministry, you've been scared. 
All your life you have walked in fear. Now I want to raise up leaders in these last days that are not afraid to do what God says, that are not afraid to walk in the will of God, that are not afraid to hear what God said, even though it sounds crazy, march around the wall seven times. Can you imagine Joshua trying to explain that to his members? All right, everybody in the room. Let's have prayer. All right, pray. Thank you. All right, today we're going to, uh, we have a war to fight. And, well, uh, all the soldiers rest, you stay home. And leave your weapons. What's the plan, Joshua? Uh, God told me uh, that for six days we're going to march. Y'all understand what I'm talking about, right? Now, come on, saints. I feel the members in that Israelite group who were like, no. So this is where we're starting. This idea of ready, set, go is not something cute that we're just trying to throw together. We just wanted you to be able to remember it. The word ready simply describes what worship does to us and what worship at Glenville should do. Watch this. They were in a worship experience. Someone preached, and this is the result. They were what? They were, they were cut to the and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we understand this now? Ready simply describes what worship does. Worship gets us ready for God. What our worship experiences should do at Glenville is get people to a point where they are cut to the heart. Everybody. Not just people who are from the streets, but every time we come into the presence of God, we ought to have a cut to the heart experience where we look at ourselves and we say to ourselves, we need the Lord. Yeah. Keep moving. The Bible says in verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent. Right? And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children. Oh, did you hear that? And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So understand this. Ready simply describes what we want worship to do. Worship should get us to a point where we want God so bad that we ask for his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is transforming our lives into the extent that our children want it to. Are you with me? Are you with me? The Bible says the Lord our God will call. And verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, then those who were glad, who had gladly received his word were what? When do people get baptized? They get baptized during our worship services. Our worship should draw people to a point. So here's my point. Worship should be evangelistic. What am I saying? That worship is not primarily for the church members. Can't hear nobody. It's primarily for God. 
but the result of it should be people who come to Christ and want to accept him as Lord and Savior. So understand now, whatever we've got to do to arrange our worship service in order to reach people, we got to do it. <laughs> the Bible says that in those who were glad to receive his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, this is what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to show you some statistics in a minute about this church and about the Seventh-day Adventist church. All right? Now, before I show you that, let me tell you this. If you have 120 people in a room, right, and when the Spirit of God falls on them, let me blow your mind for a second. 3,000 come to God. What's the ratio? 25 to 1. Or I should say 1 to 25. In other words, one person was worth 25 people coming to the Lord. Remember I told you that. One, you took, pick any one person out of the early church and count them in for 25 people to the Lord. Count them in. That's what worship that gets us ready will do. Somebody shout ready. That's what it'll do. That's what it should do. It should do that. It, this should be the place where we invite people to hear God. I'm going to get you in a minute. Are y'all with me? And the Bible says, and they continued, here's the next step, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every, every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were to what, everybody? And had all things in common. My remote that more common. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So watch this now. The first thing that happens when the Spirit of God falls is there is life-changing worship where lives are being changed. Are you following me now? The next thing that happens is, is when those lives are changed, the people come together in community. Somebody say community. And that's where set comes in. The word set simply means to be established. Now, let me talk to you for a minute. You cannot grow spiritually. Hear me when I say, when I say this. This might help somebody. You cannot grow spiritually by simply attending church. Yo, for real, you can come 52 weeks and you can hear the greatest preachers of all time at the same time. But your spiritual walk is incomplete. Watch me now. If you are not in spiritual community, we do not have an intentional ministry in Glenville to put people in community. Coming to a worship service where we pack in a building is not community. Come on in here, somebody. We don't even know each other. Come on, say amen, somebody. Now, here's the part that we don't like. One of the things that happens in spiritual community, and you can look this up if you study this carefully, is that when, when you are in a community of believers, the first thing that should happen is accountability. Like, why do we call leaders to deal with stuff that people have done when you know about it? If we have community in our church, and if a girl got pregnant, now, you know, it's like, a, you know, it's like the, the, the pet, you know, sin. If a girl got pregnant out of wedlock, that joint should never, I'm sorry, my DC language came out. That thing should never come any further than the community. 
Because if she's in spiritual community, they're ministering to her needs. If she's in spiritual community, then they are blessing her. They're finding ways to lead her back to Christ. There should not be a big board meeting. There should not be a big business meeting. There should, there should, that, that should not happen. But let me tell you, one of the reasons why sin is so rampant in the body of Christ is because there's no accountability. Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes, and we do not exist in community. I'm not mad at anybody for being private. It's all right to have your privacy. But it's anti-Christian to be in isolation. But it's not your fault. It's my fault. We do not have a strategy set up in this church where people are to be in community. You can't get it in Sabbath school because you're here for only a few hours. And you're so busy in your lesson study that nobody can't jump out and say, I'm ready to leave my husband. I need your prayers. I mean, where in the church is it permissible for somebody to say, my son is a homosexual and has AIDS and is dying and I need your prayers? Where? where? Where is it permissible to tell somebody that I'm that charges were filed against me? And I don't know how to get through this thing. We're not judging them to find out they're innocent or guilty. We're simply saying we're your family and we're here for you. We'll pray for you. We'll encourage you. But look, it's not enough. It's not enough to have a ready experience in Glenville when we come and do this thing right here where we all just love the worship and we go home and we eat and we sleep and then we take a whole week and come back come back and do it all over again I'm telling you right now God showed me so clearly he says this worship this fascination with corporate worship is not helping the church it's hurting the church people's lives are not being changed Michael you're preaching till you're blue in your face and people are still living the way they're living and it's not because there's anything wrong with the word is that we have not taken the second step. Think about it. If I told you today there are three steps to the sermon. Number one, pray. Number two, read your Bible. And number three, go witness. After it's over, it's over. You ain't gonna do it. I ain't gonna do it. Come on in here. I'm not gonna do it. Thank God I'm getting paid to do it. Come on, say amen. I'm not, you know why we're not going to do it? Because there is nothing in place to see to it that we do it. And the only way that you can see to it that you do it is you've got to be in spiritual community where people tell you, hey, have you led somebody to Christ? How is your prayer life? Have you heard from God lately? Are you still struggling with pornography? See, that, oh, y'all didn't hear me right now. That does not exist in our churches. And this is why people are dying. The majority of our money goes to this day. The majority of our attention goes to this day and to this experience. And when people go home, they are left unto themselves. Holy Spirit told me, he said, Myron, he said, man, stop being so hard for people when they fall down and make mistakes. He said, it's your fault. You have not created an environment in the church, nor have you strategized to give them an environment where they can grow spiritually. Let me ask you a question. When a child is born, Consider that new birth, right? When a child is born, they're ready. Right? Kind of like worship. Makes you ready. Opens your eyes. You're alive. Can you imagine if that child is born and just leave the child there? Y'all read all the studies. If a child is not touched within so many days, child will begin to get sick. Stuff like that. This is what happens in the church. 
And then we say to people, they need Bible studies. They need to be in studies. Yeah, they need to be in studies, but they need to be in community more than they need to be in studies. How do I know that? Because people do not leave the church because they don't have a lot of knowledge. People leave the church because they do not have relationships that are strong enough to hold them there. But we keep trying to get more knowledge in them. Keep feeding them. Keep teaching them. Keep indoctrinating them. And I'm not saying we should not do that. But what's most important when somebody gets baptized is not necessarily what's most important for the next person. You can't do a one-size-fits-all. You've got to meet people where they are, and you won't know where they are unless you're in relationship with them. There are many of us who come in here every Sabbath, and we see people we've never seen before, and it does nothing to us. We are not moved. We don't even care. Well, here's the beauty about what happens. Now, let's just be honest, y'all. We ain't here. The Bible says they were so tight in their, in their small house groups. Now, listen, I want you to hear me very clearly now. I'm very strategic. I'm going to wrap this thing up. I'm very strategic. And I obey what the Lord says. <laughs> the early church did not grow with church buildings. Remember, I said that. 3,000 people did not come to the Lord and join a 1,500-seater uh, uh, sanctuary. Watch what happens. The Bible says they met in their homes. I read one study out of a book called Pagan. talks about how we got church buildings. Did you catch that? I ain't saying it's sin. Just know where it came from. Church buildings did not come from the apostles or the New Testament. Calling a building a church came from Constantine. Constantine is the same guy that gave you Sunday worship. And the reason why he started erecting these structures that he would call churches is because he was trying to make Christianity acceptable to the pagan world. See, the pagans had their own buildings. The pagans had their own sacrifices. The pagans had their own priests. Constantine says, I want to make Christianity cool, so I'm going to create buildings that look like the pagan buildings. We got the nerve to walk all up in here and feel proud because we got a building and call it holy. It ain't holy, it'll never be holy. Can I tell you why? Because it will burn when Jesus comes back. It is simply a tool used for service. Let me, let me show you something here. What is the pastor's job? This is something that has paralyzed the body of Christ. Well, most folks think is preach, caregiving, visitation, crisis counseling. And if the pastor don't come, you know, y'all can visit them a thousand times, but they ain't been visited. Baptisms, communion. Weddings, funeral, come on, that sounds about right, huh? Church administration, organization, an ambassador, the representative of the church to the community. This is our common understanding of what a pastor should do. Not to mention uh, be a caregiver for everything. Uh, now, here are some paralyzing ideas. First one is the holy man idea. People see me 
as holier than them. What, what they actually think is that I should be holier than them. I grew up thinking that the pastor is supposed to be the most spiritual person in the church. Can I help you out biblically? There is not a text in the Bible that says that the preacher should be the most spiritual. Who can prove that? When you begin to believe that I am uplifted, If I say this, will you not take it to the extreme? Are you mature enough to do that? Like, I don't have to be the one, and it's not that I don't want to. Matter of fact, it's my inclination to want to do whatever you ask me to do. If you ask me to pray for you, there is nothing more special about my prayer for you than if you ask my son to pray for you. Now the problem with thinking, see, we worship preachers. Now we think we know their job. We don't go into the dentist's office and tell them what to do. And we don't go to the doctor's office and tell them how to do it. But the preacher, everybody knows the preacher's job. Well, I'm going to tell you what his job is in a minute. But one thing for sure is that he is not supposed to be all and all to the people. The next paralyzing idea is the holy place, as I mentioned. Now, what these two things do, number one, is they compartmentalize God. They make God be all about a man, that God is greater in my life than he's in yours, and they make God quarantine to a building saying that God, this is what somebody actually told me this, that during the 11 o'clock hour, that God, they call it the, 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 the divine hour, that God's presence is stronger in here now than it is at any other time during the week. Show me that in the Bible. Now, here's the problem with this. This kind of poisonous Catholic thinking makes us feel that, if, that the work of the church should, should happen with a man and that the work of a church happens at a place. What that does is removes responsibility from us to be holy and from us to be ministers and from us to realize that the church cannot be a structure that I am the church. Somebody shout, I am the church. I am the church. The church is at 3802 Shannon Road, Cleveland Heights, Ohio. The church is in Garfield Heights. The church is in Maple Heights. The church is in East Cleveland. The church is all over there. It's on the west side because the church cannot be confined to a building. Some of us won't even witness to anybody. Uh, come and hear my pastor. Look, I'm not against that. I understand what you're, what you're saying. But you are basically saying that your relationship with God is predicated on whether a man is going to be good in the platform on Sabbath at a certain place. Can you imagine if our spirituality was based on going someplace and hearing some man? That sounds Catholic to me. What's the work of the minister? 
The Bible says that he gave some to be apostles. Stay here. Some what? Some. Some. And for the equipping of the. For the work of. All right. So the work of a pastor is to equip. You know what that word means? It's a medical term that means to take a dislocated joint and put it back in right position. The church is the body of Christ. The role and function of a pastor is to come seek God, have a relationship with him and say, God, is it broke? Is it dislocated? The spirit of the Lord says, yes. Then he shows me through his word how we get people back to the Bible because we're out of position. Short answer, my role is to encourage you, inspire you, motivate you to operate in right position. Watch this. I'm going to let you go. Let's go here. First Peter 2 9 says this. Now, this is crazy. This, again, goes against this idea that I don't have to be that spiritual. Let, let him be spiritual. Let Elder Cox be spiritual. She's prayer, prayer ministry leader. Let the deacons be spiritual. They're supposed to be that. And it's funny to me because people are so critical of leaders and why they're not spiritual. But my question to you is, aren't you a leader too? Watch this. The Bible says, but you, that's plural, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own. Look, everybody is a priest. Look at your neighbor and tell him right now, I'm a priest. Tell him right now. Tell him I'm a priest. Now tell somebody else, you're a priest too. Say, so live right. Did you hear what I just said? Did you just read the Bible that I just read to you? You are a priest, Lamar. My man. Right there, that's my boy. With the high top right there, that's my man. And I want him to know right now. I want him, I want, I want, I want Dion, I want y'all to know y'all are priests. And they are no less priests than I am. The, listen, come on, y'all. We got to see, and that's why we, that's why we got to start treating people that way. So, so, what are, so, so why do we gather up this misfit group of EITs and DITs? They're not worthy. They're not worthy. They're not worthy. Well, you're right. But guess what? They're priests. Can't just leave them there. Can't just let them rot there. Can't just talk about them while they're down there. Got to do what Jesus did to the first 12 group of misfits. He went and got them and he poured his life. See, I'm, I'm into this thing. I'm going to just tell you why. I'm just telling y'all know. I told look. I grew up in a house where drug addicts. I told y'all my parents let everybody stay there. And one of the things I saw is that when you invest in people, no matter how bad they are, if you if, if you give some if you give folk something to believe in. This I'm telling you right now, man. Sometimes we throw people away, man. We throw them away. And all that, but you gotta know when you. Did Jesus throw you away? Mike Saunders. Two years 
Francisco. Wasn't even here. When I got to the church, this brother did not. Forgive me, y'all. He told me there would be times he was so drunk, he didn't even know what he had done. But look at what God is doing in his life now. Look, I'm not saying this to be thin. I'm telling you what God can do when you love on people. You got to see past. You got to see past what they do. And you got to see what God can do. Come on in here, somebody. Who do you think you are? Don't worry, they ain't ordained. Don't worry. We, I mean, come on, they ain't taking over the church. But I believe that if you take a man, if you take a woman, and you invest your life in them, if you hang in there with them, and don't become impatient with their progress and their process, that eventually, if the love is right, oh, you didn't hear what I said. If the love is right and real, eventually the Lord will turn them around. I think about Gabriel. He shares his testimony of how he was at Akron and he had to leave school because he was wilding and he was out there. If you look at this young man right now, you can't even tell. You might see a tattoo and say, wow, Gabriel. Yeah, because he has a story. There was a time that he was out there. There was a time that he didn't know. But now this brother is saying, God, lead me to Oakland College so I can study for the ministry. Praise his name. That's what I'm about. That's what we're going to be about. We're going to be about taking people right where they are and by the power of God's love, see their lives change. Because they're priests. Somebody know what I'm talking about in here. As the Lord pulled you out from some stuff. I'm done. I'm done. This is up next week. God is attracted to weakness. There is nobody. There's nobody in here right now. You need to hear this. Because I've been here where you have messed up so bad that you will not get another chance. I'm telling you right now, God will give you another chance. You're not done. You're not finished. You didn't screw that thing up so bad that you cannot recover. I got a word for you today. God says that I got a plan for your life and you're not done yet. I'm passionate about this thing. This means, I'm, man, I got a call yesterday from somebody saying, come and pastor this church. Very tempting. 
laid out the financial stuff. Oh, this will be taken care of. Your house won't foreclose. Your wife will be straight. And I told them the Lord has told me that this is where I'm to be. I ain't no politician. I ain't trying to be conference president. I ain't trying to be the next departmental leader. I want to be amongst people. I want to see lives change. And my heart is in it. It drives me crazy when I see a group of people who do not seem to be in it. Who are into simply just attending and talking. You come to this prayer meeting tonight, I'll tell you the rest of this. One of the most shocking things that I discovered is that Glenville has 1,588 people on the books. And at the first time, oh, that ain't right, that ain't true. Okay, subtract 500. Let's just say they, they, they died, they moved away. Can't, you can't cut off a thousand. Subtract 500, where are they? Don't tell me it ain't broke. It's broke. <laughs> we have at Glenville 98% of our attending membership is not involved in school winning. Out of 1,500 people last year, we baptized 55. That's 27 to 1. It takes 27 people to make one soul. So you say, oh, that number's not real. Okay, well, there's 450 of us on average each Sabbath. You know how many people come to Christ in that? The number is 8 to 1. That's still 98%. 2% of our people are involved in ministry. We think church is something we come to. I'm telling you, church is changing lives. Whether it's here, whether it's in your house, whether it's in a mechanic shop, whether it's in a barber shop, the work ain't here. The work is there. I have much more to share with you. I invite you to come tonight. And we're going to pray about where God is taking us. Last thing I want to say is this. One of the things the Lord told me. He said, Intentionally, what word did I say? He said, intentionally go after youth and young adults. Now, let me explain something. That's what he said, do. Why? Because we have done a poor job with doing that. Come on, talk to me, y'all. Am I, am, I, am I in left field? Am I in left field? <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about because your children are not here. So this is not an anti-older generation ministry. My assumption is, is that the older generation is concerned about the children they've lost. And so they are in agreement that we need to find them and we need to make this church a church that they feel welcome at as well. One of the reasons why we have kept all the older folk is because we have catered to them. Kids don't have no money. 
They don't got no tithe. They don't got no offering. They can't hold an office. They're in school. They're sometime. They're up. They're down. They got puberty. But guess what? One day they're going to come back as Dr. So-and-so. And they're going to go right over there to the Word Church. And then we're going to stand back and say, oh, they ain't right for doing that. We trained them in the way of the Lord. But we did not go far enough. I'm going to tell you tonight what the plan is going to be to reach that generation. And it's radical. Are we going to try to reach other folks? Yeah. But I read somewhere by a lady named Ellen White that in the last days, as the army of youth, rightly trained, would furnish and finish the work. I believe in Ellen White. I don't know about you. Now, Ellen, if you told me that that's what is going to be, and that Bible tells me in Joel 2 that young men will see visions and the spirit is going to fall on all flesh, then I'm going to get my behind in line with the word says and what spirit of prophecy says and start moving us to a place where we care about if they come. One of the things your girl also says is, she says there will be some that will block the wheels of change. Don't block the wheels. But she says, let none be filled with the spirit of the devil by blocking the wheels. She says new methods must be used to reach this generation. I'm telling you what, let me tell you what. Can I tell you something real quick? I'm just going to throw it out there. This generation does not want to come to church, as we call it, and see the same thing every week. Sorry. It can't. I mean, these people are tweeting as I'm preaching. They're not coming to look to see the same thing every week. Some weeks they want to go out and minister to folk. Some, I mean, they are not into tradition. Now, by the time they get 45 and 50, they will be. But while they're in this shiftiness, we're going to encourage them and use the best of their energies now while they're there. By the way, I was Jesus. He was a young adult. 33 years old. Now, be clear, we ain't throwing out old folk. We're hoping that old folk will train the young folk to become who God wants them to be. But you can't do that if you're not that. I'm done. Tonight, I'll tell you exactly what the Lord said we are going to do. Holy Spirit, right now, somebody's going to join the church. They want to come into a church that's going someplace. A ready, set, go church. Ready through worship. Set in fellowship. And then we go. That's our job. To go. To go. God, I'm praying that you'll move upon some heart right now. If it is your desire, my brothers and sisters, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I heard one person say, if you're through with change, you're through. The change process must take place in all of our lives on a regular basis. If you, you may have joined the church, you may be a longtime member, but there are some things in your life that through the power of the Holy Spirit need changing. I want to invite you to stand. Remember, worship should get us to a place where we're